You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week, we're going to discuss Bush's new album, The Kingdom. Which is their fourth album since revamping the band. Yeah, Bush took a hiatus for the first decade of this century and then came back in 2010 and released Sea of Memories in 2011 with Gavin Rossdale and Robin Goodridge, their original drummer, and then a brand new guitar and bassist. So it's Bush version 2.0. And I got to say, they've been consistent. Four albums they've had in nine years. I mean, they're hard working. We'll give them that. Yeah, they apparently have a have put out an album almost every two to three years since uh, since the new lineup. They did the same thing in the nineties. They yeah, their original version was was equally uh, was equally consistent. They had four albums between ninety four and two thousand and one. So it's kind of the same thing here. Yep, I know we saw Bush at. I believe a point fest. Yes. Sometime pretty shortly after they reunited. I believe it was during the sea of memories era. I'm pretty sure you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that is correct. I think that's the only time I've ever seen this band live. And from what I remember, they were pretty good, but that was almost 10 years ago. So yeah. Yeah. I, I remember them having a solid set. It was definitely, especially at that time, one of those things where how do I put it, where the, the big hits were the big hits and people were about hearing the songs that they loved from uh, from the 90s. And the band seemed most comfortable playing those songs as well, which makes sense. You know, if if your half of your band is not performed together for a long time and the other half is brand new anyway. Well, and if it was right around the sea of memories, there wasn't too many singles to come off of that album. So they wouldn't have had many songs to play from that album. Yeah, unless it could be like one of those bands where like, hey, we got a new album. Here, let's play all of it. Thank God that that wasn't the case. Because <laughs> <laughs> while I, I did like the Sea of Memories, I didn't think it was as good as the follow-up album, Man on the Run. But um, you had mentioned something earlier about the Sea of Memories being uh, produced by our favorite producer that we mentioned last week, uh, Bob Rock. Yeah, and so... and. If Sea of Memories, if you if you look at some of the critical acclaim behind it, it didn't really get very strong reviews. And <laughs> so Bob there was Rock, a lack of critical acclaim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and I don't know if you know this, but they they also apparently had a version that they exclusively released to Walmart with a bonus track called "Love Will Tear Us Apart." And I mean, if you're making exclusives for Walmart. I think you've probably reached the bottom of your <laughs> career. If there's one thing that we love more than Bob Rock, it's Walmart. I mean, especially since you know it's got to be a clean track, because otherwise they're going to beep it. <laughs> I have a fun story regarding the the bonus album from that as well. So, oh, tell us that. Yes, I'm excited. Tell us. <laughs> we want to hear fun stories. We'll go ahead and get this get this going now. <laughs> so. Bush, their entire discography, they love singing about machines or ghosts. And so on 16 Stone, you had Machine Head. On The Science of Things, they had Warm Machine. Golden State had two tracks. They had Head Full of Ghost, and then they also had My Engine is With You. So 
most machines have <laughs> forms of engines. That's uh, fair. You also have, so Sea of Memories, it didn't have any on the actual CD itself, but on the bonus CD, they had a song called Ghost. Man. <laughs> on, and did it continue? Oh, wow. Black and White Rainbows, they didn't have anything, but uh, Bob Rock only produced one track, track nine, The Beat of Your Heart. So they didn't want Bob Rock to mess up their entire album. Well, I, I feel like that was like Bob Rock just begging, like, come on, guys, let me just produce one track. Come on, just one. I won't mess it all up. Just let me produce one. Do you think they, maybe they had a meeting like before they went in to make that album? They're like, listen, we know Bob's about to come try to get in on this action. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to throw him a bone with yeah. this one song and that'll get him off our back and then we're out. <laughs> I know that's probably not how that kind of thing actually works, but. As we mentioned before, we like we like our fun theories. Hey, technically, there's a song on Black and White Rainbows called Ravens. Now, if I remember correctly, don't Ravens have something to do with bringing souls to uh, uh, Hades? Yeah, I believe you're correct. So that's essentially ghosts. I know. I think in, in mythology somewhere, Odin sends some ravens to the underworld. So there's definitely some type of connection with that realm or whatever. We were talking before about on the Static X episode about sometimes there's terminology or like lingo that you can recognize a band by. And Bush loves the super spiritual and the super mechanical. Yep. And then so there you go. Kingdom, this album, <laughs> they have the ghost and the machine. So boom, both oh. in one title. <laughs> They've reached their peak. <laughs> I wonder if Gavin has been like, listen, I've been trying to write this song for 20 years now. <laughs> And I finally got it. <laughs> He's been sitting on the ghost in the machine. He's like, I found machine head. I had head full of ghosts. Didn't quite hit the mark. But this time, <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> and then in the song Blood River on this album, it has a line in it that says, when does the android become human? Oh, man. Nice. <laughs> That's you know, actually one of my favorite songs on the album, too, by the way. I agree. It kind of reminds me of another band that many might say was ruined by Bob Rock and that's peak in popularity was probably around the same time as Bush. And that is Our Lady Peace, which is a band I've got a strong affinity for. And yeah, because they had an album in 2000 called Spiritual Machines, which um, was uh, based on a book about artificial intelligence and and humanity and whatnot. And so there's so much connection right there. You got, you know, the machines and the ghosts the Bush is doing, Our Lady Peace is doing a little bit of the same thing right there. I don't know. That was before Bob Rock came into the picture when they were still good. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that album. <laughs> Spiritual Machines is my favorite Our Lady Peace album. And then after that, um, Gravity, it was definitely a pop rock yeah. album. And then after that, they just were kind of boring, to be honest. So it almost seems that we could have a whole episode about bands that Bob Rock has ruined. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> good idea for the future. Because <laughs> you could throw Metallica, The Offspring, and I'm sure that there's a couple more in there. Oh, yeah, there's more. <laughs> I mean, we talked last week about 311, and he was definitely involved in some of their stuff. <laughs> Uplifter. Yes. Uplifter was a, a very beefy and... There were tracks in there that I enjoyed, but it definitely seemed like them at their laziest in some ways. Yeah. And so... Because Bob Rock brings out the laziness. He brings out the lazy. 
So here I thought we were going to talk about Bush today, but we're going to talk about Bob Rock, apparently. <laughs> I think that he's just is a different type of producer and, 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 you know, his style works for some some bands and obviously it doesn't work for others, in our opinion. Right. I haven't found that it worked for any, but if we do talk about him more in depth sometime, maybe one of us could play devil's advocate and see if we could find a band that he really improved somehow. <laughs> but it's possible. Yeah. Broken clocks right twice a day. So, well, and it's, you know, it's crazy because we we're kind of talking about this in the last episode, but like, you know, producers, they, they do have a lot of influence on the bands that they, uh, that they are producing. And, uh, they can, you know, define a, a band's sound or change it or, or do whatever they want. Absolutely. As they see fit. They have a ton of influence. I mean, part of it depends on how much the band allows them to have, but they can definitely make or break how an album is going. Or some albums, you know, a band will record for a while with a producer and then just scrap the whole sessions and be like, this just didn't feel like it was right. And they'll just start the whole thing over. And then you have the anti-Bob Rock, Rick Rubin. Yes. Yeah. That we'll, was do, good. we'll do an episode on that one on him sometime. <laughs> like, here are the bands that Rick Rubin has done great things with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think, again, I think it's on how you inspire it. Because when one of the stories that I remember hearing about Rick Rubin and how he really put a charge into Metallica when they were when he was producing Death Magnetic is he basically made them do concerts and wouldn't allow them to play anything that Bob Rock produced basically. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He he made them play all their music pre black album when they were doing their live concerts, just so they can get the feel of how that sound was and to kind of get inspired by that and just be in the mindset that they were when those albums and that music was created. I think it all is how producers inspire the band or, or how they decide to get what they want out of the band. If you want to hear more about that, I, I don't want to get too much into the habit of recommending people to listen to podcasts that are better than ours, but I will <laughs> readily admit that this one is um, Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell do a podcast called broken record. And you can hear a lot more about Rick and his history and music and speaking with Malcolm Gladwell, who is in my opinion, one of the best like researchers and communicators out there. And so that's, that's a good one. Check well, that Rick one out. It's just this a episode. weird dude. He also has an amazing beard most of the time. So, yes, by the by, now that uh, to connect a couple other things here, now that Bush has done the ghost in the machine, Our Lady Peace just recently announced that their next album will be a direct sequel to Spiritual Machines. So I think that they're trying to play a little game of one upsmanship here now. (laughs) Rain was like, wait a minute, you're talking about machines again. We're going to do it, too. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty awesome. It's totally bogus. I made that entirely up, but you know, oh. we create our own narratives. So I got all excited that they were actually like putting out some new music. They are putting out. No, sorry. The story isn't bogus. They actually are making a sequel to spiritual machines. Oh, okay. The idea that it has anything to do with Bush is bogus. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh, made that connection. That makes up. more sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, getting back to the Bush album that we originally set out to talk about the kingdom, the kingdom. Yeah. I actually was thoroughly surprised at how good this album was. I felt that since their lineup came back in 2011, you know, they put out a couple of strong albums. The uh, Man on the Run was probably my favorite of those albums so far. But so I didn't really have high hopes when this album came out. 
but like we all kind of asked each other, like, well, is this album worth talking about? We all needed to listen to it. Um, and yeah, I definitely thought that after listening to it, there's no doubt that it was worth talking about. A little behind the scenes on how the itch operates is that with every episode that we've had here, some of the reviews, you can go back and listen to them and they're, they're kind of mixed. We don't always agree and we're not always like glowing about them. But we come to the consensus before recording a review of any album that we've decided that it's at least worth talking about. And so we weren't sure what to expect with this Bush album, but uh, we all gave it a fair shake and decided, yeah, this is actually is worth talking about. Yeah, and this this is definitely one of those type of albums where the more you listen to it, the more it grows on you. I agree with Aaron. Yeah, that's good to know, because um, I'll put this out there pretty early on. I'm not terribly impressed. And so (laughs) I'm willing to give it another listen or two to see if it does grow. But at the moment, I I can't say I suspect that I'm going to be the least interested in this of the three of us. Yeah. From how much I've listened so far. I will say that. Okay, so there's 12 tracks on this album. Mm -hmm. It's really top heavy. And so like the first seven tracks, I really enjoy for one one reason or another. And then after track eight, it kind of drops off a little bit. After track eight or before track eight? Because I didn't, I wasn't. Uh, after track seven, send in the clowns track seven. Uh, once you get to track eight undone, I, it kind of fell off a little bit for me. I'll agree with that 100%. I was really, really into the album. I thought send in the clowns was was just a very interesting, not only an interesting song name, um, but it was just an interesting song in general. And it just, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I've never known Bush to be silly. And I don't know. I'm sure that this is an innuendo or a metaphor, however you want to say it. Yeah. But I just, I just thought it was hilarious. And he's like, she thinks I'm insane. So send in the clowns. Like, <laughs> it just, like I was laughing so damn hard. That is a little this, bit of nice, nice sarcasm in there. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just roll with that then. Fine. A little, well, a little and, sillier than I'm used to them being. That's fair. So one of the things that I, I have an issue with Gavin Rossdale is that, uh, well, I, I feel like he's the, the world's biggest idiot. And I'm nope. just going to say that. <laughs> Remember, this album is worth talking about. <laughs> but the album's worth talking about, but I still can talk about how Gavin Rossdale's an idiot. And you're going to. Let's do this. And I will definitely do that. <laughs> because... He was married to Gwen Stefani, who is like one of the most gorgeous women out there. And he cheated on her with the fucking babysitter. All right. <laughs> and so uh, the, my issue with him is that that was just it was lazy. He cheated on Gwen Stefani out of laziness. <laughs> like he's Gavin Rossdale. The dude is not a bad looking guy in the first place. He's he a pretty probably boy. have any woman he wants, obviously, if he was married to Gwen Stefani. And yet he cheats on her with the fucking babysitter like that. Dude's an idiot. That's all I got to say. Dude is an <laughs> idiot. He threw away his marriage with one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And she ran right to another great guy. And good for her. I'm, I'm happy for her, obviously. Uh, but yeah, he's he's an idiot. That's how I felt. <laughs> and so, like, I really do think the one of the reasons why I like this album is because I think that and I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of these songs are kind of talking about his breakup and maybe what led him to cheat kind of explaining his side of it. But I mean, there's really no reason to cheat. You just, if you're not happy, then, then leave. But you know, sending the clowns, I think is, is one of those songs that reference that again, I could be wrong. Cause this was a couple years ago that that happened. And I don't know, maybe yeah. it's still better holding on to that stuff. But um, 
sometimes you write stuff about relationships that happened a long time ago too. Sometimes things are super fresh and sometimes stuff comes out later on. Like, yeah, you can, an artist can pull from throughout their entire life for inspiration for things or touch on things. Even, you know, I'm sure that relationship still lingers in his mind subconsciously. I'm sure anybody who has been married and then is no longer married, like you don't just forget about that person. They're still hovering around in your, in your brain, in your heart a lot. Well, and I felt like that was the reason why the band took 10 years off so he could enjoy his life with his beautiful wife. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't actually, I, I, it escapes me right now, but wasn't that legitimately the reason? Yeah, that I, think I thought so. the idea was that they got together and basically, basically, it seemed like he somewhat sacrificed his career for her so that, she could continue to you know explode as she as she was. That and two of the other band members that left and basically retired did the same thing to be with their families and raise their kids. So Butch in general broke up so everybody could go be family men. Yep, is what you're saying. Okay, pretty much. Okay, and I don't want to go. I don't want to go too much further into Kevin Rousdale's relationship, at least me personally. But if you do a little bit of research, he also dated Courtney Love for about a year. So his standards are kind of oh. mixed, man. <laughs> is that a, is that before or after Gwen? Um, it was uh, around the same cool. time as when they first started getting together. They kind of had a break, apparently, in like 95. Oh, wow. Hmm. I don't want to go down that path either, but we've already discussed Bob Rock messing up bands. I don't want to, I don't want to give Courtney any time. There's just too much going on there to, to touch. But no. So anyway, like I, that's, that's one reason why I think I liked a lot of these songs though, because I felt like a couple of them referenced, you know, his side of, of the story. And while I will never agree with his side, I at least like hearing both sides of the matter. And I, again, it could be wrong. I don't, you know, it, it might not be about, that particular relationship but i don't know it just seems like the the lyrics for the chorus for sending the clowns are are exactly about that like she thinks i'm insane so sending the clowns tonight we're going to rage all that remains don't be so down it's just feelings that we can't escape so i don't know it's definitely about some type of strained relationship yeah exactly that was just my thoughts but you know i i thought the album really started off good with flowers on a grave which i'm pretty sure is their first single off this album yes it is yeah so it was, you know, because like usually, and I like, I don't know, I like when the albums lead off with the band's first single. I don't know, just kind of, you're like, hey, I recognize the song. I can get into it a little bit. And then you're, I, I don't know, I'm almost more open to listen to more of it if, it if it leads off with the single and gets me hooked right off the bat. We've discussed before, and I, I probably forever, as long as we do this show, we'll harp on track listings and stuff like that. But we've talked before about prominence of place and how common it is to put your singles or the songs you presume would be most popular near or at the very top. It grabs people's attention quicker and hopefully you can keep them after that. I definitely think that for me, flowers on a grave might be the best song on the album. And so on one hand, not a bad idea to lead off with your best track. On the other hand, it sets the bar at a place that I don't think the rest of the album necessarily lives up to as much, but uh, at least it does catch you off the top. Yeah. Like I said earlier, this album is a little top heavy but so you have track one flowers in the grave then you have track two the kingdom the title track and then track three bullet holes was actually a song from john wick three ah interesting which seems like an appropriate song for a john wick movie exactly i heard that song and i had two notes on it the first was that 
Gavin does this kind of talk singing thing in that track. And I kind of like it when he does that. Yeah. The second is to me, that song sounded a lot like another song with a similar title, which was bullet, the blue sky, namely like POD and those like rock cover style. If you go back and listen to it, I feel like you'll hear a musical similarity in there. I could see that. I thought that was interesting slash odd. And that's, that's one of my kind of beefs with the album is that some things feel recycled. Um, they're either really similar to other stuff or they're, they don't differentiate that much from each other. I think um, like the kingdom you mentioned um, it's a solid riff, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard that riff before in in Hey man, nice shot. <laughs> so <laughs> it took a little, and you know, people recycle stuff all the time on the show. We've had, we've played so many songs that ripped off 25 or six, two, four. Yeah. And it happens. It's okay. But, uh, but it does make me wonder sometime about the creativity or originality to a band, but the King does have a pretty sick bridge. I'll give them that. That's a, that's a, a good part of that song. I think you, you mentioned it being top heavy, uh, the album for me, I think part of why that is Casey mentioned that, that he thought that the album sort of dropped at the end quality at uh, track eight, which is called undone, which is the it's, first it's ballad. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, <laughs> the album comes undone at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first ballad on the album. And so for a band that they've got, you know, their share of ballads in, in their discography, glycerine being one of their most famous songs of all time. And one of my personal ones, uh, Inflatable from Golden State, is one of my very favorite Bush songs. Yeah. It's weird for me to leave your first ballad until that far into the album because it just means you're doing similar sounding rocker after similar sounding rocker. And so I got I was tired by the time I got to that point. I probably would have bumped Undone up to track four or five to give a little bit of breather <laughs> between some of those, well, those guitar riffs. One thing to kind of expand on that, the one thing that this album didn't have that a lot of Bush albums do is the a song with a violin or orchestra in it because you, you have glycerine, you have bone driven, you have letting the cable sleep and inflatable. But this album didn't really have that type of song, which I think would have been nice if they included one with it, but they chose not to. Yeah, I'll agree with the, the album kind of going downward after undone i will say that i did really like the last track uh falling away it did have a, a really awesome guitar solo which i thought was kind of funny because you listen to the entire album and you know there's solos here and there but there was nothing like that solo and falling away and it was just i don't know it was just kind of nice to end the album with some actual like guitar yeah falling away was definitely a, a good good ending track in my opinion also, they talk about machines and falling away. They sure do. I was just about to say that. I'm glad you mentioned it. Nice. First of all, he he. one of the lines is there is talks about being without spirit. So now we got a little more spirit, a little more ghost going on again. <laughs> and then the way the album pretty much ends. And I kind of think that this is a profound line, but I need to kind of like understand more of what the context is of what he's saying. But he says, we build perfect machines. We build machines we think are perfect. And then we're falling away, falling away still. So the whole like I'm falling away is the end of the song. But yep, there's more machines going on in those in those Bush albums. <laughs> he loves his machines. He loves it. Nobody loves machines more than Bush. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
their heads, they're warm. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of falling away, there was production on that out on that song and some of the other was uh, by Tyler Bates, who by and large, I would say is a significant upgrade in terms of the music that he produces from, from at least from Bob Rock. And, and he's known <laughs> for doing soundtrack related things. He does a lot of work with Rob Zombie, uh, a lot of work with James Gunn, a lot of like horror soundtracks. Um, he does some stuff with Zack Snyder, which is maybe less appealing. He did the John Wick franchise, which makes sense. Yeah, he did John Wick. He he had some involvement in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks, which were both killer. Oh, he and did so, Sucker Punch too. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> and Deadpool awesome. too. The guy's got a, a pretty fun discography of things that he did. Composition. I don't think most of it was production. I think most of it was he was a composer, but in some form or another, he was collaborating on the music for for those films. And so, uh, and he was actually the former lead guitarist of Manson. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and I wonder he, if he had a uh, a stage name when he was in Manson. Not that I'm aware of. He did a couple of Manson's more recent albums, and then he helped uh, with songwriting and whatnot on the Kingdom here. So that's not a terrible guy to have around. No, he's he's definitely got a, a great resume. Yeah, but um, I don't know. See, so here's kind of kind of where I'm at on this album. Bush released a live album. Uh, it's called Live in Tampa earlier this year, and and one of the tracks he mentions something about his his influences he mentions being influenced by punk bands and then also people like lou reed and the doors and bob dylan and neil young and he says maybe i make rock music because it's my version of punk music now and when i listen to bush albums especially in 2020 there's a part of me that wonders what it would sound like if gavin rosdale actually did have some more punk to him if that makes sense so Bush came out around the time that the they were kind of like the second or third wave, I guess, of like grunge bands. So, you know, Nirvana had already finished, unfortunately. Uh, Alice in Chains and some of those other bands were still pretty big. And Bush came out around around that time. And they were kind of portrayed as a knockoff at times. But um, when you think about Cobain and Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell and Lane Staley and stuff, there's a lot of personality in their voices and there's there's attitude and there's emotion and there's a lot of that. And I don't quite feel like I ever get that kind of thing with Gavin, at least not to the degree that that those guys have. I feel like he's a very good singer. I feel like he's a very like professional singer, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could kind of see where you're where you're heading in that direction. It's a good voice. I just I just don't connect. I don't I don't. I don't believe his emotion as much as I do like other comparable singers. I think that their success has probably kind of led to that in a sense that, you know, they got so popular so quickly from 16 stone. Yeah. You know, when you're, I guess, cross genres and you're playing shows for every type of audience, you know, you you just, you kind of have to be, nobody to be uh, favorable from everybody that makes sense i see what you're saying yeah and then that does make sense like oftentimes the people who have the widest commercial appeal don't seem necessarily to have that strong of an individual personality exactly it's it's like one of my favorite lines in hamilton don't let them know what you're against or what you're for (laughs) that's fair 
or I think of like the boy bands from the early 2000s and how everything was so produced and 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 deliberately chosen and, and marketable. Like their personalities were crafted for them. And those guys had individual personalities. And later on in their lives, you found out what those were. But the ones that they had on stage were not necessarily a representation of who they really were as people. And I just think that their success led to that because they went on to become one of the most commercially successful rock bands in the 1990s, selling over 20 million copies of the 16 Stone worldwide. Oh, yeah. 16 Stone was enormous. Well, and one thing you got to kind of factor is they're a British band, more or less, and they just kind of came over here and tried to take a stab at it kind of thing. I think that part of that, though, from what I read was grunge was popular here in the States, and they're basically built off of that success that grunge had already established here in the States with all those bands you had mentioned before. Apparently, during that time period when Bush initially came out, Britpop was was more dominating the charts than right. grunge. Yeah. And uh, and so that's why they did actually come over here and have a lot more success in the States than they did back in UK. I think it's really interesting that that Bush uh, being a British band, not actually that big of a deal in the UK. And like you said, during that time, it was when like Oasis and Blur were getting really popular yeah. and they come over here and they're a huge deal in the States. But again, not quite as as beloved uh, back home. But yeah, I mean, 16 Stone was a monster. You had you had everything Zen, Glycerine, Machine Head, Come Down, and Little Things as well. Honestly, as we mentioned earlier, if we've seen them live. Those songs are their live favorites. Far and away the most played songs. They always close uh, with Come Down. Those are the backbone of Bush to this day, despite being released 25 years ago. Yeah, they were monsters and they had nowhere to go but down to some degree. And Razorblade Suitcase was still a pretty big deal. Swallowed was a fairly big song. And one of my personal favorites I always felt was kind of underrated was Greedy Fly. Mouth. I love that song. I love Mouth. That was a fun one. So I don't know. I don't think they ever fully got out of the shadow of some of those other bands, but they certainly had the commercial success. And so nobody can complain. And, and as you mentioned before, I mean... The guy found himself in a position in his life to to marry Gwen Stefani. So <laughs> he was doing something, something right at some point. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest with you guys. I still think that Bush and Gavin in general are pretty generic. I, I think that a lot of the songs bored me. I feel like the production is not very energetic. And like I said, I kind of wonder what they would sound like if they just let loose a little bit more and just kind of, I don't know, got punkier or a little less produced little less technical maybe like you know they have great great riffs a lot of a lot of really good stuff but i don't feel that much energy when i listen to them and so eventually they always kind of bore me i don't think that they're supposed to be an energetic band i mean it's it's grunge it's grunge music was supposed to be depressing and yeah and uh you know just somber yeah but i i do agree with that to an extent i don't think it's bush's purpose to be heavy but however like i said before i really I really liked the song falling away mainly just because of the guitar solo. Like I, I don't know if I've ever heard any kind of Bush song with that prominent of a guitar solo. It was, it was fantastic. Like I just remember listening to the album and then like all of a sudden this guitar solo comes up and just like, Whoa, wait, was that, was that, what am I still listening to Bush? Like I actually double check it. <laughs> I'm about to listen to that again later. Cause the, the, when I think of Bush guitar solos, the one that comes to mind is swallowed and 
it's a pretty great one. I, that's a, that's such a pretty great song, but, uh, I'll have to get back into that and, uh, and maybe compare notes on those. But I, I think that's what it is. I just, I don't think they're intended to be a heavy rock band. I think that they're just kind of supposed to be mellow grunge or almost on the brink of adult contemporary. Yeah. I mean, they certainly still, um, fall into that category of being very accessible. Agreed. There's one track that I think that had a little bit of that punk energy that I was looking for. And it also had probably my favorite title because it was the strangest title on the album. It's called words are not impediments. That one was, was kind of one of my favorites. I don't know. I felt it a little bit more. And then there was something I noticed in the track blood river. I hadn't really thought of this before, but next time you guys listen to this, because you're saying it's a grower. So I'm anticipating you'll go back to it at least one time sometime soon. Um, Gavin's voice a lot of times is the last thing that you hear in a Bush song. A lot of mm-hmm. times, you know, a, a lot of bands, you know, a song will close with like the riff or something like that. A lot of times in their songs, it's the music fades out just a tiny bit before his last words do. And I just, I don't know. It was an interesting observation that I made on listening to this album. He's definitely front and center, put it that way. Would you prefer that all the tracks end like glycerine? Yes, I want something bizarre that makes no sense at the end of <laughs> of every Bush track. <laughs> glycerine has the weirdest ending. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's the one with like the little symphonic outro, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it the the last <laughs> note kind of goes sour for a long period of time. That's right. It really gets odd for for a split second at the end there. <laughs> Can I make another note comparing Bush to, to another grunge band? And this is something that I'm not going to say it's bothered me for years, but it's just I've always thought it was strange. And I may or may not have ever mentioned it to you guys before. I've always thought it was interesting that everything Zen and Alice in Chains would both feature the same line. Try to see it once my way sung in a pretty similar style. I've always wondered if that was an intentional thing or if that was just kind of a coincidence, but it was just, it's, it's such a specific line to show up in two songs by two similar ish. Not really, but somewhat similar bands at somewhat similar times. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, regardless of who did it first, Alice and Chains did it better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Wood is a phenomenal song. If anybody listening knows the answer to that question, has further insight, hit us up. Let us know. We'd like to know. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I'm Can I tell you what's interesting? Two of my favorite Gavin songs are not Bush songs. I don't know if you guys remember the track Adrenaline. It was yeah. a sound- soundtrack song from, uh, I think it was Triple X, was it? Probably. It's been a minute. And then one of my very- I gotta know the other one. I bet you do. It occurred when Bush was not a thing. And I believe that we played this on the show in the early days. Yep. A band that otherwise would have no business being on the itch. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> that is the Blue Man Group. Gavin Rosdale was featured on a track called The Current, which to this day I still love. It was hard rock guitars mixed with people hitting PVC pipes. <laughs> like how cool of a song is that? <laughs> So I guess that's what he did when when they were when Bush was broken up. He just appeared on everybody else's album because he was also featured with Apocalyptica back in 2010 on a song called End of Me that was on their Seventh Symphony album. He stayed busy. 
maybe that was what worked for him. Did Gavin ever release a solo album? Yes. Yes, he did. That was produced by Bob Rock. <laughs> yeah. And he was also an institute for the, that short period of time. I was going to say, do you, do you guys remember Institute? <laughs> Vaguely. Yeah. What is I've, that? I, institute was a, a side project that Bush did in, in 2005. Basically, they did that and toured with U2 on one tour, and that was about it. Yeah, and, th- and then he did Wanderlust in, in, uh, 20, in 2008. So he was definitely keeping himself busy. Connecting a couple of things real quick here. Uh, we posted on social media recently, and maybe we'll do it again. I don't know. Um, there's a pretty good video that came out recently of Breaking Benjamin and Gavin Rossdale uh, doing a cover of Alice in Chains' Wood. Really? Just as a side note. Yeah, just a little bonus for you right there. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it is not too shabby. I love one thing I appreciate about Breaking Benjamin is how much they love when like their own rock heroes join them for stuff. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters do the same thing, except for their heroes tend to be people from like a previous generation. Whereas Breaking Benjamin's a little more current, but still. Yeah. So Gavin's a busy guy. He does stuff a lot. You know, I will say that there's a couple of uh, <laughs> a couple of interesting collaborations on his solo album with the drummer Josh Freeze of A Perfect Circle, Helmet member and uh, Bush tour guitarist Chris Trainer. He also apparently had uh, David Stewart of The Rhythmics on there, Katy Perry, and garbage singer Shirley Manson was all on his solo album. Always a sucker for Shirley. Dave Stewart of The Rhythmics um, worked on a track on The Kingdom too, so it seems like they have kind of a long relationship. And that anytime you get Josh Freese, Josh Freese is like the Uber drummer. Yeah. That like just about any modern rock band that you've heard has had him tour with them or record a studio album with them. He's I was going to call him a rented drummer, but that sounds insulting. And what I'm trying to do is compliment him because the guy is fantastic. He's been <laughs> on over 400 records. Yeah. So if you yeah, need a good drummer. And you can afford him because I'm sure his price is pretty high at this point. Yeah. Well, it happens when you've been touring with the likes of Gun Ro- Guns N' Roses, A Perfect Circle, Nine Inch Nails, Weezer, Sublime with Rome. Yeah. Everywhere. Like All I said, he's, he's the man. We could do an entire episode just on him if we ever this wanted is, to. This is very true. And <laughs> it would probably be a better episode than this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's between him and Travis Barker. Yeah, that's the truth. Oh, man. While I really I did like this album, it was a lot better than I was expecting. I, I will agree that it wasn't like over the top. It was not like the best Bush album. I, I will say that I think it's the best one since Man on the Run. But I, I, I wouldn't place this album in the top 10 this year. I think it, it might make the top 20 if there is a top 20. But in comparison to everything else that's come out this year, I, I didn't think it was as strong as that. I, I did like it for a Bush album, but I didn't I didn't think it was super strong compared to everything else that's been out. I really enjoyed the album as a whole, but if if it does make the list, it's going to be like 19 or 20 on the list. <laughs> it won't make mine. I can pretty much tell you that. I know with the number of other albums that we've already discussed in previous episodes, with a couple more we have kind of in the pipe that we haven't done yet, and with Corey Taylor and From Ashes to New coming out with new things and a number of others, Hollywood Undead, Deftones has begun more strongly teasing that they've got something coming pretty soon. And I don't know if that's a new album or if that's that rumored uh, white pony remix kind of thing, but either way, I mean, those are going to be some heavy hitters coming out seven dust. 
yeah, this this one, like I said, I I found I haven't found enough life, enough energy, enough stuff that didn't seem kind of generic to me that it would rank very high on my list. I love Flowers on a Grave. I actually was trying to learn how to play that song the other day, but the album as a whole isn't incredibly impressive to me. Yeah, I see what you're saying that that Deftones is teasing a release on September 25th. Yeah, and if that happens, that will that will jump a lot of artists in line, and we will have our our second Deftones album uh, episode. And so, I'm I'm totally down with a second Deftones episode because chances are it'll deserve it, and it'd be cool to talk about a new one instead of um, talking about the greatness of their old ones. While I agree with that. Gore was not my favorite, so I don't know if I'm, I'm I'm looking for I'm always looking forward to new Deftones are one of my favorite bands, but I don't know. I'm just I guess I have I don't have as high expectations because of the last album. You're hoping for more uh, recapturing of uh, Diamond Eyes. Yes. Yeah. I feel like almost every band reaches a point where they just taper off. It's almost impossible to find one that doesn't. And I am amazed that Deftones have existed as long as they have without doing that aside from gore so i'm until it becomes a pattern where they have two or three week albums in a row i'm willing to call that one a misstep and you know give them another shot for sure we'll find out (laughs) yep that we will so yeah a lot of good music coming out some some good music on this bush album kingdom um we'll have links to that album in our show notes i i haven't decided i don't you guys remember last week I talked about the the Rock Matters revision idea with 311. Um, I'm thinking about doing one of those for Razorblade Suitcase. And <laughs> I don't want to say it's there and that it's going to be in these show notes, but I am going to say that I would like that it's a, it's a work in progress that might happen. Because <laughs> that album, while being a big deal itself, totally fell off the cliff compared to 16 Stone, because 16 Stone was just that massive. And so... I'd be interested in seeing if I could find B-sides or things like that that somehow made that. I doubt I'm going to find a hit single and stuff that didn't make the album, but, you know, I might do a little Rock Matters revision on Bush's Razorblade suitcase and put it out there sometime. We'll see. So, Casey, you seem to kind of like the album more than the rest of us. Uh, What would you say are some of your favorite tracks off the album? I would say my three favorites on the album are Flowers on a Grave, Blood River, and Send in the Clowns. Yeah, you, you have, you basically, and that's kind of why I asked you, because me and you kind of have the same uh, taste when it comes to, I guess, this type of rock. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, I'll agree with you pretty much the whole, you know, I will say that the title track actually surprised me. I really did like The Kingdom, even though Aaron said it was a, a washed up guitar line, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think my favorite song on the entire album is Blood River. And then I did love Sending the Clowns and, and The Kingdom was good. Like I said, I the song itself for Falling Away was not the greatest, but I love the guitar solo for that song. I did too. I'm going to go with Flowers on the Grave. I already mentioned is probably my favorite. Uh, Words Are Not Impediments, which is kind of fun when you can find one of your favorites at the beginning and one at the end. And then uh, I got to go with Ghosts in the Machine since they, you know, they finally reached the top of the mountain with what they've been trying to do all this time. Yeah. I don't even honestly remember if I like the song, but the fact that it's Ghost in the Machine, that's good enough. We'll call that number three. (laughs) So this has been our 
Flavor of the Week with Bush's new album called The Kingdom. And I hope you enjoyed our discussion regarding it. Yeah, let us know what you think. If you have, uh, I would say if you have differing opinions, but our opinions differed. So you know, <laughs> where, do you, where do you land on our spectrum? How about that? Let us know how you feel about Bush, about Gavin, about his life choices. Um, <laughs> no, probably don't do that. About Bob Rock. <laughs> Dan would love it if you just sent us a Facebook message that said something to the effect of Bob Rock sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to collect some of those, I think, and put them on his wall. And yeah, that so, would be awesome. I can just line, <laughs> line my podcast studio in here with Bob Rock sucks. <laughs> you can cover up the other important things that's in there. Well, I can't cover up my Funko Pops. That would just be... <laughs> That'd be a tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So check out the show notes and you will find the playlist for this episode. You will find links to Bush and their music and maybe a couple of other little surprises. And keep providing us your feedback. I I will say that the feedback that we have been getting has been amazing. I really do appreciate all the friends and family and fans that have been reaching out and letting them letting us know exactly what their thoughts are of the show. Uh, It means a lot. And if you have negative comments, we definitely don't mind the criticism. But if you don't mind sending those to us, maybe on our Facebook page, we would greatly appreciate it. We really are encouraged by the, the reports that we get and not just praise, but sometimes people just saying, hey, here's what I think of the show and that their description of it being what we hoped it to be is kind of what's exciting. And that totally to reiterate what you just said, criticism is totally welcome as well. We're happy. We want to improve. We are constantly in the process of trying to uh, make this show bigger and better. And you can also check out the, the new pod page. We have a brand new pod page. It is podpage.com which is a site I want to give a quick little shout out to because I just discovered it and it's a pretty fantastic place for podcasts to make websites. Podpage.com slash site slash rock dash matters. And we'll have links to that in the show notes as well, where you can check out anything else that interests you there. All right. Well, thank you very much for your support, your feedback. We do appreciate everything. You've been listening to The Itch Rock Matters. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. Okay, we got to somehow skip off of Bob Rob because I just Googled it, and so... Uh, Lost Prophets Liberation Transmission, which was, I'm pretty sure, their first crappy album. (laughs) That was also uh, Bob Rock. So, yeah. Oh, boy.